Please take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and if you want to in your bulletin, there's an outline you can follow along with uh, hopefully uh, a clear outline there. We are looking at Acts chapter 5, verses 11 through 42. I'd like to read this passage, so um, sit up nice and straight, okay? All right, and Acts chapter 5, verse 11 through 42, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even... So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is, the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand and as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, the, uh, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. 
For if this plan or this undertaking is a man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. May God add his blessing to this word. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for you and how great you are. Thank you for your good work. Thank you for your bride, the church, and how you value it. I pray that we would learn and grow and uh, not just file it away, but take action upon what we learned here this morning. Lord, it's only by your grace. So we ask for your help to be people who are of the light and shine in a dark world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we continue in our study of the Acts, and let me say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is called frequently. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And... uh, As we continue in our study, it becomes more and more clear that the church is God's possession. He's in charge of it. He is jealously in love with his church, the bride of Christ. And this morning, I think we'll see again how God orchestrates things in life to grow his church and to show its significance as the family of God, as the pillar of truth as the body of Christ in a dark world that needs to see the love of Christ and the action of Christ in the world. That's the idea of a body, isn't it? Okay? I think also to show the significance of the church as the stewards of the gospel. The stewards of the gospel. How else is it going to get out? How else will it get out? But through the church, God's people. Not a building. Not a building. You want to say that with me? Not a building. I mean, that's silly, I know. But you know how many people think the church is a building? Too many. Not a business. You ready? Not a business. Thank you. It's an organism. It's got life in it. Because it's got people that have new life in Christ. That's the idea. You, you become a Christian, guess what? God puts you into the church, His body. You're baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Acts 5 here that we just read, it shows really another episode of the church gaining momentum, making progress. Not just internally adding numbers, seeing people healed. That's that's kind of internal. You know, oh, did you hear what happened? This is great. And it adds to the family of God. That's good. Okay? But not just internally, but also externally in its dealings and its responses to the world it is in. We are put into the world, not to be of the world, but in the world, right? Maybe you've heard it said, we joke about it in our family, but a baby changes everything. Amen? (laughs) A baby changes everything. Well, you know what? That's what we have here. The church is God's baby. It's the baby that God brought into the world. Listen, designed to make a difference. Okay? Designed to make a difference. Designed to grow and be stronger, not to stay a baby, 
but to de- designed to grow and be stronger, to gain momentum, to take steps, to make progress. <laughs> so this morning I, in your outline, there are five observations, five aspects of how God orchestrates his people along with those who oppose him and the various circumstances of life to, quote, change everything. These five observations simply reveal or reinforce God's strategy, God's game plan for his church. God's game plan can be summarized in these two ways throughout the book of Acts. Here's this idea of gathering. That's the internal. Let's gather together. That's what we're doing this morning. Let's gather. And then in Acts, it's gathering and what? Going. And that's the idea, the title of the message. The church, it's gathering and going. It's very necessary for the gathering part of the church, for everyone, young and old, to learn the purpose and design of the church. That it's not a... And not a... Thank you. We're to learn its purpose and design. How we are to worship God and praise God and please God. Um, How we are to live by faith, not by feeling. Live by faith in Jesus. Understand that feelings will be there. That's how we were created. But walk by faith, not by sight. That's the idea of the church. And faith in the person of Jesus. We're also to be learning what keeps us going. What keeps you and I going in the walk in the Lord is, is not our good determination. It's God's good grace. And He helps us learn how to love one another in relationship with each other and forgive one another, right? And, and to maintain unity in the body of Christ. Okay. So, and there's many other strategies and principles of family life. Now, God didn't bring the baby of his church into existence to be a perpetual fat happy baby. The idea is that he brought this precious possession into existence to be a perpetual reflection of his likeness and his glory. I mean, Yeah, we could pick on a lot of families here because there's quite a a likeness to mom and dad with the children, right? Um, We see that. Well, that's the design of the church, the body, that we'd have a likeness to our Father, a likeness to our Savior. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Hey, that's what we need to challenge us with. Ourselves, We need to challenge each other in that way. Not to get all negative, but to be saying, you know, here's what the Word says. How are we doing? And that's what studies are about. That's what connect groups are about. That kind of um, rubbing shoulders, iron sharpening iron, as we say from Proverbs. And so God allows and uses the external, outside, harsh elements... To cause growth and greater likeness. Okay. So here's number one. The first observation from this passage is the number one, the power and plan of God on display. That's pretty basic and under, you know, we understand that, but we need to lift that up and say God has power and he's demonstrating it right now in this, through this passage. The power and the plan of God on display in verses 11 through 16. Outsiders, unbelievers were most likely witnesses to what occurred, but his power and plan were primarily on display for the growth and the encouragement of God's family. Carrying on with what Jesus did in his likeness of, he went about healing people, didn't he? I mean, that was amazing. You read through the Gospels and see that, and it's just... It's amazing because, you know, you think of the fact that um, back then the medical world was not as advanced as it is now today. But Jesus healed people miraculously. 
So the, the, showing the, the overcoming power over what people in general just see as nothing's, nothing's gonna happen. Nothing will happen to fix my, my child, my spouse, you know, my loved one. Nothing. Jesus comes along and heals them. Well, same thing is happening here in the book of Acts. Okay? But here's this little list under number one in your outline that we see showing the power and the plan of God. Letter A, to confirm... This, sound, this seems like it's out of, out of the blue, but this is to confirm, letter A, to confirm church authority. To confirm church authority through who? It's through the apostles that the miracles are happening. And that's just simply authenticate their ministry as being the real deal. Okay? It was at the hand of the apostles that these miracles were done. Mark down Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8, because Jesus told them, Hey, I'm sending you out, and guess what you're going to do? You're going you're gonna, to, um, you know, call demons out of people, and you will heal them, and a number of other things. But listen, Jesus also said in John chapter 4, verse 48, unless you people see the signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. What was he pointing out there? You're going to have a propensity to lean on miracles. Because that's that's, you just want to see miracles. And that's what many people were doing, following Jesus. They were following because they were miracle seekers. <gasps> did you see what he just did? Well, oh, that was so cool. But when it came time to walk by faith... Not happening. Go through the tough times. Not happening. They, they bailed out from following Jesus. So listen, it's no surprise that throughout church history, this activity, this miracle kind of making thing going on, turned into a primary feature for many. Really, maybe another way to say it, just it got overemphasized. I mean, in our day and age, from those of you that are born long, 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 long time ago, you know, you might remember different Christian stars who came on the scene to do their thing. And all it was about was, it was the miracle-making uh, tent meeting. And they might have called it a revival, they might have called it this or that, but it, it was just about how many miracles can we show here? And it kind of missed the mark. Not kind of. It did miss the mark. And yes, we all understand people suffer from diseases. They suffer from physical pain, from afflictions that it's really hard knowing some of you are dealing with constant pain. And we as fellow people, we would, it's just nothing better would be to see you get healed. That would be awesome, wonderful. But you know what? With these and other limitations, that's exactly what we're dealing with. We always have had it. We always will have it in this earthly life. There will always be those kind of things that we see ourselves or other people dealing with. And it hurts. So... It's obvious, you know. Hey, here's an opportunity for ministry because people like it. People want it. They're looking forward to it. They're hoping for it. And I think emotions get built up in things like that. And expectations grow and, you know, rise and up. And yet after three, four months down the road, is the person really healed? That was healed at the tent meeting? I don't know. This is a challenge. I, I realize it. It's a challenge. But I want and you want, we all want the healing. We all want to see the miracles. What does God want? God wants you and I to reflect his likeness. It is up to him if he wants to heal miraculously. It is up to him. And so we will. We will continue to pray for the healing of people. We'll continue to do that. But I want us to see how sometimes the, the target 
ends up being something other than Jesus in the gospel. It's something that's, you know, on the outsides, you know, that's kind of closely related. Well, that was a lot right there in letter A. We got to get moving, huh? Sorry. Letter B under number one. Also to add to the church family. Notice verse 16. It's the first mention in chapter 5, verse 16. It's the first mention of folks added from outside of Jerusalem. And so obviously the gospel witness was spreading. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, remember? And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth. So here's recognition of that right now. The people were added to the church family. Letter C, to recognize the ongoing resistance, opposition that would be coming from here, in this case, the Jewish rulers, but also in our day and age, those who oppose Christianity. If you're tracking in the news and watching and hearing what's going on in the news, there's all sorts of things coming up against Christianity. Because if if you're truly a believer, you... You're an extremist. You are an extremist. That's what we're being called. So, that helps. We see that in the majority of this passage. The opposition. The resistance to the gospel. To the name of Jesus. Letter D. It's also then, obviously, to energize people or believers towards the good news. Towards evangelism. That's what's behind this. Here's the resistance, and here's the emphasis for, hey, let's, let's get after this. We need to energize believers to evangelism. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Number two, on your outline, we see the, the persecution by the Jewish rulers. The persecution by the Jewish rulers. You see that in verse 17 and 18. The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, the, the party of the Sadducees. And they're filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Okay? Now, letter A under number two is simply the continual struggle for prominence. And what was underneath that idea of prominence? You know, they, they wanted prominence. That's what Jesus accused them of. But underneath that is this subtle thing of, and write it down, if you're taking notes, write it down. Authority. It was really about authority. Their authority was getting threatened. Okay? And that was one of the struggles. And if you want, that's really the struggle that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Hey, I would like my own authority in this. I'd like my own independence in this. So I'm going to, hey, let's try what this beautiful creature is telling us to do. And Adam and Eve stepped outside of God's boundaries for them and did their own thing. They became their own authority. They didn't want the accountability with God. And that's your problem and my problem apart from Christ. So every day, Christian, you and I need to come back to saying, I will bow. No other gods. All the thrones and things get... Push them aside. I will bow to you alone. Lord, I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness is in Christ alone. Okay? So, they were filled with jealousy. I have a question here about this. um, That their hearts were filled with jealousy. Who were they really jealous of? Were they jealous of the uneducated apostles? That's what they were known as. Were they jealous about them? Were they jealous about the increased following? I mean, this is exciting. They were afraid their council, they were afraid they were going to get stoned by bringing those guys back in, right? Were they jealous of that wonderful group of people that were all of a sudden following them? Or were they jealous and filled with this jealousy about the dead Jesus. Stop and think how, how long ago 
the whole thing with Jesus happened. It wasn't a couple of years ago. It was simply a couple of, a month, a month and a half ago. Forty days. You know, two months at best. Maybe a little more. But not, not a year ago. They were dealing with something that was just recent for them. Well, maybe it was because it was everything combined. They wanted it all. So, and that's, that's a theme that's going to continue on throughout the book of Acts. Okay? On the back of your outline, point number three. We've seen, number one, the, pro, the power and the plan of God on display. Number two, the persecution by opposition. Number three, the priority of the gospel. The priority of the gospel. I find this very challenging and fascinating at the same time. Verse 19, 20, and 21. Look at it with me. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go to Starbucks and sit back and relax and take it easy and fellowship with non-believer, or with the believers that'll be there. Right? The angel, not, I'm sorry, an angel came, opened the doors, said go go and stand and speak to those in the temple what were they to speak they didn't he didn't say go speak about how you've been released here go speak about how you've been released from sin by Jesus give him the gospel speak the message the whole message see that there in the verse he said do the whole, give him the whole message of this life. He didn't say the gospel. He said, give him the mess, the whole message of this life. Okay? There's an emphasis on the good news, letter A, under number three. The continual emphasis on the good news. Go, stand, speak the whole message of this life. Listen. There's so many of us that back away from this call. I know these, I know this is, he, he was speaking to the apostles, but in essence, you know, we're, we're all to respond to this call. Um, and so the big question is, do I know the gospel well enough? Do you know the gospel well enough? We, we want to help people learn more and more about the gospel. You know, in your bulletin, I think it's on a regular basis. There's a little box there that walks you through it. Cut it out. Laminate it. Put it in your wallet. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your car. Use it. Why? You know why? When it comes time? I don't know what to say. I'm nervous. Uh, What will they think of me? I stumble. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I stumble. Yes, I know you do too. We all have hang-ups about it. I'm not, I don't have the gift. What did you say? I don't have the gift? Um, I think all Christians are supposed to know the gospel because you, if you're a Christian, you were saved. You weren't saved by church tradition or church attendance. You were saved. It's the gospel, right? So let's, let's put these things together and let's encourage one another because we all know our shortcomings in it. So let's encourage one another about it. Go, stand, and speak the message, the whole message of this life. Learn the gospel. And let's remember, who does the saving? Simple answer. Who does the saving? God. He wants to use you as his instrument in this process, though. That's a blessing, not a, oh, what do I, oh. No, no, no. It's a blessing to be used of God. And so remember, it's God's word. It's God's word and it's God's work that he will bring about salvation. He is a sovereign God. Salvation is of the Lord. You and I need to be ready to be tools in His hands, instruments in the Redeemer's hands 
to share the message. You and I, Matthew 13, are like the sower. Are you sowing seeds? I know that many of you do. You try and sow seeds of the Word of God. Keep doing that. I have a book, another book to share with you. And I might, yeah, I'm going to read a little bit from it here. One thing, can you see it? One thing you can't do in heaven. Duh, what can't you do in heaven? Sin. Evangelize. Yeah, you can't sin in heaven. Praise God. Love that. I love that news. That is really good news there. But also in regards to evangelism. He gives some examples of just things that he's thought of that help start kickstart some ideas for us. I'm just I'm not going to read it word for word. I'm going to give it a little summary here. Um, 150 years from now. Think of that. File that away. 150 years from now. Will it matter to you if you made a million dollars? 150 years from now, will it matter if you drove a comfortable uh, convertible Mercedes-Benz? Graduated from college? Played in the Final Four? No, no, no. The only thing that will be important then is whether you know the God who created you because you will be in one of two destinations forever and ever and ever. It's very important to get people to realize that it is the eternal, not the temporary things that matter. Causing them to think of the eternal things that matter. Um, Talking to people about eternity. Um, Eternity is an awfully long time. Make sure you've got the right answer. Make sure you've got the right answer. And he gives, you know, examples of this. Um, Another one. There is, I like this. There is 100% chance that you will die. (laughs) Okay. Obviously, um, you will die. And do you, and along with that thought, and do you realize that you will be dead a whole lot longer than you will be alive? (laughs) Kind of elementary. But we never think of it. We, we, no, I shouldn't say never, but we just don't think in, in those kind of ways. Um, I've heard friends share this. The Bible, the acrostic for the Bible. Anyone know that acronym for the Bible? Basic information before leaving earth. Being able to mention that to somebody that hasn't heard it, that doesn't go to church. You know what the Bible stands for? Oh, here I go. How much time? And just give them that little one. Basic information before leaving earth, okay? Here's one, probably the best one, right here. Talking to an unbeliever, being able to come to a point where you say to him, I care where you spend eternity. It's very important to me where you spend eternity. If you want to see your friends or your relatives in heaven, what do you do? Number one, pray. Pray. Keep praying. Pray, pray, pray. Pray without... Thank you. And pray for the opportunity to invite them to heaven. Invite them to heaven. A number of other things here, but... um, I wrote this little note down from another part, portion of the book. If they are breathing, they need Jesus. If they are breathing, they need Jesus. Point number four in your outline. The providential work of God. The providential work of God. Verses 33 through 39. Um, Here's letter A, number four, letter A, the continual activity of God's sovereign hand. Listen, the, the gospel was given to them. The gospel was given to them. Peter just called them out. 
Peter called them out in verse 30 and 31. Listen, the God of our fathers raised Jesus and whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. Again, they, they, they knew that. They remembered. They were, it wasn't that long ago. And then verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Listen, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's God's gift. That's God's grace. God's grace grants repentance from sin. You might not have ever heard that. A lot of times we think, well, I had to repent. I I had. Well, God granted that. God brought you to a point where you recognized your sin and you repented. That was God's grace to do so. God granted repentance and forgiveness of sins. Okay? And so... Here's where God's providential hand gets into action, his sovereign hand. Um, Gamaliel steps up. He knows that they're about ready to kill him. They, they want to kill them. And Gamaliel says, hey, let's send these guys out. I, I need to say something to you. And so Gamaliel gives his insight into this situation. He wisely interrupts the proceedings and he shares, you know, like, this is, if this is a man, it'll end. If it's of God, it's not worth fighting against, right? Because God's going to do what he will do. He understood that part, but it would have been especially better had he said, let's investigate, let's really investigate what they're teaching. Wouldn't that have been great? But all he said was kind of, you know, a general statement. Hey, um, you know, if it's a man, it'll die. And then he gives two examples of these two guys. You know, they led some people astray from Judaism. And they died and the, their followers scattered. So those are the two elements there. But this movement, this movement that the apostles are behind and and preaching and teaching, this did not fade away. And you are an example of it sitting here right now, here today. The grace of God, the work of God keeps on happening. God does not sleep nor slumber. He does not forsake His own. He keeps working. He's working a work in your life right now. So let us cooperate in that way by submission. Submit to Him. Humble yourself before Him and say, God, do that good work. It does hurt sometimes. Yes, we know. But this is the way that He works in sanctification. So, um, God's work carries on. Point number five. is the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. And here we see the continual evidence. And this is, I I talked about this to the students in Sunday school this morning. This is so important. Here's God's, the continual evidence of God's sustaining grace in our lives. Now listen. Listen. You look at this last section. I know we've raced through some of these sections, but at this last part here in, in verse 40, look at verse 40. You know, the, the council took Gamaliel's advice in verse 39, and then verse 40, and when they had called in the, uh, the apostles, they beat them. You know what the translation is for that? They flogged. They flogged them. Typically, that is 39 lashes And that wasn't just the the old uh, wooden stick on the behind. That was the whip on the back. Okay? Now, stop and think with this whole context. Come back with me on this. Think. How did this passage start? Healings. The sick were healed. Isn't that, that's great. The, the apostles were delivered from, from jail. Isn't that, that's cool. 
Why weren't they delivered from the flogging? Why weren't they healed right away after the flogging? You know, uh, Peter could have turned to all the guys, hey, let's, let's do a huddle. I'll touch you and we'll be healed of this flogging. See, this is a part, um, I don't understand it all, but this is a part of the Christian life. There will be suffering. Those who want to live godly will be persecuted. Okay? The world is no friend of grace. (laughs) We get that. And look at this. It's not just that they were um, flogged. It was unjust punishment. By the way, one that Jesus, the very same kind of thing Jesus had to endure. And then they ordered them, the, the council ordered them, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. And then released them. And off they went. And the apostle went off and planned their revenge. No, they didn't. They went off rejoicing that they were counted worthy of the shame of their Savior. They had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And they turned around, kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. They kept going forth. And we, we kind of wonder, well, wow, they're really determined guys. No, let's change that from determined to, what did Peter just say that they were going to do? Verse 29, we'll obey God. We want to obey God. Um, that still comes back under the category of God's grace in our lives, working His grace to help you and I obey If you've been around as a Christian for any length of time, um, none of you have lived a perfect life since coming to faith in Christ. None of you. But he has. Jesus performed the perfect life. He lived the perfect life. But you and I, as believers, still disobey. We still can look like we're maybe walking in darkness, not light. Well, confess that to God. And turn... To say, God, help me to show that I'm walking in the light. Okay. So, um, I hope that you will consider uh, looking at this chapter and reading it some more. I didn't tell you, I, I mean, I meant, we filled in... Uh, Number five, letter A, the continual evidence of God's sustaining grace. Um, you know, there's a whole list of things you can add under that. It's not just... Here's the, the overarching title of it's God's sustaining grace. But you know what it is? It's His indwelling spirit in you. His precious and magnificent promises that you draw to your mind when you're going through pressure and difficulty. It's His... The, the students sing it, and they love that song. It's His resurrection power in the believer. Hallelujah! And yet, we turn around and walk out and go back to our normal lives, and and it's up to me again. I Here we go, another tough week. Got to sled it out, slug it out, and all that. No! Let's, let's encourage and pray for one another about relying on the resurrection power that is ours in Christ. That, and that is transforming power. That's what help, that, Here's transformation happening. Romans chapter 12. So, that's what comes from God's sustaining grace. That's our last point, okay? In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, but I want you to listen to these two things that I have to share. I came across these. One is a quote from R.C. Sproul. And the other one, I don't know who wrote it, but I'm sharing it with you. Here's what's become of our American gospel. Our American gospel has become a gospel of following your dreams and being good so God will make all your dreams come true. But that has nothing to do with the God of the Bible 
or the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I, with that statement, ought to be challenged about saying, but what, but what does the word tell me? I can still, I can still kind of think those things. Here's my hopes, my dreams. But that's not what God's saved me to do is to build that thought up more. No. God saved me so that I might worship Him and be effective out in the world as an effective testimony. Not like Ananias and Sapphira. You remember we talked about that last week. Not, no, not that kind of testimony. But a testimony that says, I'm poor and needy. And I have found living water and living bread. Let me show you where it is. And then this is the last one from R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul wrote this. Um, for those that don't know, he's gone to be with the Lord. He died a, um, a number of months ago now. This is a helpful statement to help us understand be, uh, the difference between evangelism and witnessing. He writes this, the distinction between witnessing and evangelism is important because it is easy to think we are evangelizing when all we are doing is bearing witness to the Savior. Of You know, I, I went to camp, I got saved. That's a witness to the Savior's work. It's good. Giving one's testimony is a good thing, but it is not evangelism. Testifying to the work of God in our lives bears witness to what Christ has done for us, but it does not it by itself give the content, there's a key phrase, the content of the gospel. Living a righteous life manifests the work of the Holy Spirit, but we have not evangelized our neighbor if we have never shared the gospel content with them. And that's what's happened over the years in, in our lifetime is... Except Jesus, right? Except Jesus. Well, you don't really see that being built up as a key theme of the gospel. You want to get more specific than except Jesus. You want to tell them why the lack of holiness and righteousness in our lives can only be filled and brought to a right relationship with God through Jesus and His perfect righteousness. And then he finishes his statement with this. He says, No one is converted by our kindness or honesty. They are brought into the kingdom of heaven only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and then the Gentile. There's the power of God to bring a person to salvation. Most all of you here have come to be saved. To know a a right relationship with God is not through good works, but through faith alone in Christ alone. And now it's up to us. Here we are in this day and age. God says... You, I want to use you, Christian, you, all of you, not just the, not just the old, but the young, all, to share the word of the gospel, this message of this life. How important is that to me? Will I be alert this week? Will you be alert this week and ready? All too often, I'm not. I admit it. All too often... I've got stuff on my mind about my agenda, my, what I, here's my list. I gotta do this, that, this, that. Let's just pray that God will help us to look to Him. Everyone here, everyone here knows someone. Everyone here knows someone. I sure appreciate Bill's prayer this morning. About there's someone in your life that needs to know the Lord. You cannot save them. You cannot get into a you know nasty, ugly-looking debate with them. No, you keep sowing seeds of the Word of God in, and it's got to be through your words. It can't just you know that statement of oh they'll see it in my life. 
Well, they can see almost maybe a better moral life than many Mormons. But they're not getting the truth from them. They'll get the truth from the Word of God. It's the Gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. May God use us to help people come to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we first of all just want to acknowledge the fact that we have grieved your spirit in many ways and I think especially in this regard of not being ready with the gospel. I know, I say I know the gospel, but I want to know it in such a way that I can share it. And I pray that it would be true of my brothers and sisters here that we would be eager and willing to be um, pointing people to the Savior, especially to the message of the gospel, the whole message of this life, as Peter put it. Lord, uh, it's convicting. And uh, I pray that we as a congregation would be quick to acknowledge that and confess that to you and then be turning around, turning things around uh, to invite people to a Bible study, to invite people to a connect group or to church on Sunday um, and, and pray that we could be used by you to share the gospel with them and to step forward as the angel, as an angel said to the, the apostles, go and stand and speak. So um, please help us with this, Lord. Uh, thank you for your love. And we say to you, uh, Lord, we love you. Help us in obeying you. Um, we need your help. We thank you for each person here. Be glorified in our, in our day and in our week. In Jesus' precious name, amen.